Welcome back to DC EKG with myself, Joe Grogan, and Eric Euland. We're uh, here today talking with Tyler Goodspeed about uh, his expertise in economics. We began talking about Great Britain and what's going on there and his recent experience there. You mentioned in that conversation, Tyler, the COVID uh, pandemic affecting Britain's economic outlook. Clearly, it did as well. And it didn't just cause death and destruction from the COVID-19 virus. All-cause mortality has gone up during the COVID recession for a whole host of reasons, uh, which is a good reminder that economic downturns have uh, health effects. Here in the United States, we've got a huge portion of our budget occupied by health care right now, increasingly. Uh, you've, you were in the White House advising the president. Right now, if Joe Biden called you up and said, come over to the White House, I need your advice, where would you start? Well, the, I think the easiest place to start would be to simply undo the slate of executive orders that the Biden administration implemented almost immediately upon taking office to effectively throttle domestic energy production. That would that would do quite a bit to bring down what is one of our number probably probably our number one economic challenge right now, which is inflation. And so and we we see it before before 2021, there is a very tight historical correlation between the, the price of West Texas intermediate crude and rig counts in the Gulf. That that historical relationship broke down in 2021. And it broke down in large part because the Biden administration was basically signaling to energy companies that there are going to be increased costs to producing energy domestically. And you know, you have to you have to depreciate a rig or a mine shaft over a 39 and a half year period. So that is that is a lot of investment risk. And when you have regulators, when you have the executive branch basically saying, we are declaring war on you, that's that's not much of an incentive for domestic energy production. So that would that would be number one. I think number two would be to look at some of the key provisions of the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that are currently scheduled to start sunsetting, uh, but that should probably be extended if we want to improve growth and basically the supply side potential of the US economy. So one of those provisions is the full expensing of new equipment investments. So basically under the 2017 tax law, if a company buys a new piece of machinery, they can write that cost off in the year in which it is incurred. After this month, after December 31st, 2022, that expensing provision starts to phase out and companies will then have to depreciate a new piece of machinery over seven years, 10 years, so I would look to extend that, make that permanent. The other thing is we have had an incomplete recovery in labor force participation in the U.S. and in other advanced economies since, since the, the end of the pandemic. So we, we are still, our labor force participation rate is still more than a full percentage point below where it was in February 2020 on the eve of the pandemic. A lot of people just haven't come back. Why that? Uh, and Why? that's not just about aging. Um, and so I would look to make, permanent some of the marginal personal income tax rate reductions 
that were introduced in the 2017 tax law. Because one thing we know is that people do respond to changes in marginal rates. Right. And so I think that would be something we could do to help incentivize people to come back into the labor force. Tyler, I want to I want to hit on what Eric, I, th- I don't think you heard him, but um, mm-hmm. this w- missing worker phenomenon, I have not seen a great explanation of where these human beings are and why they're not in the, I've heard speculation that there's a lot more people that are using drugs. There are, it's the transfer payments. It's people have moved home. It's they've, they've lost the will to work because of the COVID shutdown, the skills gap. What do you have a theory about where these people are and why they're not getting back to work? And, and are you as the fact that we don't have a great answer and I hope you do uh, have one, but I'm kind of like, we learned something here, right? We thought that people would go back and this was a big surprise, or maybe it wasn't to you, but it was to a lot of people that I talked to that thought more people would be in the workforce after the COVID lockdowns and everything stopped. So I'm sorry to, uh, to ask my question, to no, go on I, a tangent there. No, this is important. This is absolutely an important question and definitely reflects my curiosity about what you think. Yeah. So, I, I, it's it's a key question because at the end of the day, I mean, labor is sort of sixty to seventy percent of uh, of the U.S. economy. So I think this this was something that that we and the, the the Trump White House warned about throughout 2020 was that a lot of emergency provisions implemented in the context of lockdown of shutdown should be time limited because they become more distortionary. The, the as as the labor market recovery really gets underway. So that's why we try to limit the the expansion of, of federal supplemental unemployment insurance benefits. Uh, that's why we were tapering the economic impact payments to households, those sorts of things. And so I think it was a mistake in 2021 to extend with March 2021 was already 11 months into right an officially designated economic recovery. So I think it was a mistake to then further extend those supplemental federal unemployment insurance benefits until September, 2021, uh, because that, that distortion gets bigger when you're trying to add a lot of jobs. And one thing we know from labor economics is that you know, skills atrophy when, you, when, when people are out of the labor force for a while, the, the search process just slows down. And so the longer, when you're extending those spells of unemployment, of the people being out of the labor force, then you know you're going to decrease the, the the matching efficiency of the of the U.S. Economy, of the U.S. labor market uh, as the recovery proceeds. And then you you sort of alluded to the role of uh, just the, the the large transfer payments to households in 2020 and 2021, such that even now in December 2022. U.S. households are still sitting on, in the aggregate, over a trillion dollars in excess or above trend savings. So that that selectivity is 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 going going to it has a diminish some tail. of the right. It's going to last a lot longer than anybody ever expected, and its results are unforecastable. Yeah. Uh, and I would add two things. One is the, there was something that was predictable about the, the decline in labor force participation. That's aging. That's the, the peak year, the baby boom generation was 1957. 
those folks turned 62 in 2019. So some of this is demographic, but the demographics cannot explain why prime age labor force participation has declined and stayed down. Uh, and so I, my theory or one of my theories is, is actually that a contributor to this, this incomplete recovery in labor force participation has been the fact that real wages have been declining. So hmm. yeah, average payments, monthly wages have gone down every month since Biden signed his very first uh, recovery plan uh, at the beginning of his presidency. Is that right? Yes. So in inflation adjusted terms, even though even though nominal wages have been going up and going up quite a lot, once you account for inflation, average wages have been going down. And in contrast, a lot of benefits tend to be indexed to inflation. So that changes the relative return of, of work versus non-work. And I think that that's a, an underappreciated factor is, is the impact of, of inflation on real wages because people respond to real wages, not nominal wages. Right. So then there's gonna be, well, unforecastable consequences, fairly clear that with people staying out of the workforce or going in and coming out more regularly now, impacts on such things as Medicare and the trust fund, Social Security and its trust fund will likely start to show up and perhaps expand over time mm. as people keep their maximum earning time inside the workforce at a much shorter period than has been in the past, for example. So stress on the federal budget might grow over time as a result of some of these changes we're seeing and how the workforce participation rate actually unfolds. Yeah, in a, in a pay-as-you-go system, a decline, a persistent decline in the prime age, the, the fraction of the prime age population, so people between the ages of 25 to 54, a, a persistent decline in, in the percentage of those folks who are actively participating in the workforce is, is not good for a pay-as-you-go system. Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, when you uh, think about the declining wages that are in the declining real wages because of inflation, how big uh, how big a problem is this, and how can we get out of it? Do you see this ending relatively soon? I mean, obviously, I think the Biden administration has been eating crow. A, a bit, not completely, on inflation. They said in, inflation was going to be transitory, right? That it's proven to be persistent. The Fed has reacted pretty aggressively. Um, how are we going to get out of this mess? Is this going to take more force from the Fed to bring down inflation? Are we necessarily going to go into a recession? Uh, and our wage is going to, you know, nominal wage is going to recover now or when? I mean, what would you tell somebody making? A welder making eighty grand or one hundred and twenty grand or one hundred and eighty grand about their wages, starting you know, starting to think about their impending retirement. So I think historically, wages wage inflation tends to lag price inflation in part because wage contracts are generally negotiated at a lower frequency than a lot of prices. I mean, you think of energy prices; those are adjusted very quickly, very frequently. Uh, but wages are trying to catch up to to price inflation. I mean, workers have uh, workers have endured a real pay cut over the past year and a half, two years. 
And I think that they're they're going to start. Workers are starting to negotiate for higher higher pay. Uh, we saw this with the rail, the, the, the narrowly avoided industrial action with rail workers is that they they incurred a real wage cut, and now they're trying to get that back in their next contract. Uh, that dynamic uh, between wages and prices is actually something that that kind of sets a floor as to how low inflation can fall without even more aggressive action on the part of the Fed because companies don't like to, uh, to, you know, they can let margins come down, but they don't like to have negative margins. So as price inflation starts to come down, the level of wage inflation is going to provide something of a floor on as to how far it can come down. Mm -hmm. So we're not, you know, if you, you know, somebody who's headed to the grocery store, and it's been irritated over the last or alarmed the last 18 months and changing their purchasing habits, changing their uh, cooking habits, they're not going to get any, it may be permanent for them, the, the, their change in diet, their change in shopping habits or semi-permanent. I mean, this could take a while uh, if it ever is going to readjust and catch up, right? Because this inflation is going to persist if wages are still catching up. There's no way they're going to go back to where to where they were before, correct? So the, the price level, I mean, the, the increase in prices that we've seen is, is permanent. The question is, do prices continue to grow at the same pace as they have over the past year and a half? And I don't expect that simply because there are a lot, uh, there's a lot of disinflation that's going to be coming down the pike. Um, but but, uh, but there's a long way from 8% inflation to, to 2% inflation. Right. Um, and... Sorry, Tyler, I was just going to ask. No, go ahead. And, and part of that long way might be extended by actions by the Fed, as well as the amount of spending from the federal government we're going to see, courtesy of this summer's Inflation Reduction Act for the next several years, and kind of the, the macroeconomic policies of the Biden administration, first term of the Biden administration, in its next two years. So kind of thinking a little bit about where you guess we'll be in the next 12, 18 months. Obviously, economy slowing, Federal Reserve continuing to consider boosting interest rates. Are we truly tap dancing on the edge of a recession or a reduction in economic growth here for the next few years? Right. So I'll take two the, the, the two questions in turn. So on the, the sort of 8% to 2% inflation question, you know, one challenge is that we, you hear a lot of economic commentators talking about, well, this bit of inflation is going to come down, that bit of inflation is going to come down. And I think that's true. But the problem is that expectations have now risen. And we, you might have heard this term, you know, expectations have become unanchored. What that means is that consumers are now paying attention to inflation to such an extent that they can know they they're no longer going to be looking through you know one-off shocks to oil prices or one-off shocks to food prices and say oh well I'm going to ignore that because that's a temporary shock no they are paying attention to to real-time movements in inflation actually I have a new paper out research academic paper in which I find that over the long run professionals do a pretty good job predicting inflation when inflation is low and stable, but they do horribly when inflation is above a certain threshold. And that threshold is about three and a half percent. Whereas consumers, when inflation is low and stable, they're not really paying much attention to it. And they're not very good at predicting inflation. But once inflation gets above three and a half percent, 
The consumers are acing every test of forecast rationality, every forecast of, of, of every test of forecast uh, bias. They're unbiased, and actual inflation is moving one for one with consumer inflation expectations. So that, that's that's a challenge for the Fed because we are now in a different inflationary regime where 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 people are hyper focused on it, and that that kind of sets a bit of a floor as to how far inflation can fall, even though you might have this price going down and that price going down. On the second question about recessionary risk, I, I hesitate to say anything is 0% or 100% probability, but it's it's tough for me to see the US economy avoiding a recession over the next 12, 18 months because Where's the growth going to come from? I look at business investment. That has been weak or negative, and I expect it to continue to be weak or negative because we have a rising cost of capital if the Fed has to hike rates. Same goes for residential investment. Exports, well, the rest of the world is, is looking pretty weak, and you know, Europe is heading into recession, so it's tough for me to see a lot of growth coming from exports. So that kind of just leaves... It kind of just leaves the U.S. consumer, who have been very resilient over the past year and a half because of all these these transfer payments and repeated rounds of economic impact payments. But once that buffer of excess savings is exhausted, I think we're going to find a U.S. consumer who has taken on uh, more debt, uh, has experienced real declines in real wages, and they're probably going to retrench a little bit. So I think when that happens, we're it's tough to see the U.S. economy avoiding a recession. Great. Well, I mean, not great to hear about a re uh, recession, of course. I mean, uh, great summation as to where we are. Let's take a break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about where that leaves us on a, on a long-term trend with debt. And we'll talk a little bit more about the Fed's position. And I want to just pull on that string of the wisdom of the consumer a little bit, uh, maybe to start the segment. We'll be right back at DCEKG.